Welcome everybody to the Safina Society, nothing but facts live stream, where we are joined today by Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya, hailing from Oakland, California, uh, now resident of Detroit. We're going to talk about a couple things about his background and study, and then we're going to shift the topic to the love of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and how that is a fuel, the fuel of our religious life and our spiritual life and our work and our da'wah and everything else. So firstly, I'd like to welcome Sheikh Abdul Karim. Welcome for the first time, uh, your uh, first time being on our live stream and hopefully not the last. Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah khairan. Thank you to you and all of the participants and the workers. It's an honor to be welcomed. Amen, amen, amen. Rai, could you raise the volume a bit on the TV? So, uh, Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya, let me tell you all a, a little bit of a personal anecdote. Uh, when I was able to go to Tarim, I was very young and did not know much of what was going on. And there were two brothers who were the first people I met in the city of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the capital city uh, of Sana'a. I was welcomed by a brother named Jamal al-Din course Abdul Karim knows that his old friend uh, and he's now in the in Central America giving dawah he's from Atlanta Sheikh Jamal al-Din was such a a good host on those first few nights uh, where there's a ribat there in Sana'a and we stayed there for a couple days I was eager I wanted to come right away he said just wait a little bit and and rest up when we first got to Dar al-Mustafa I don't know if you remember this day that day, the first, they took me to a room where the Americans live in, and that you were there, and you had just gotten up from a qailula, right before dhuhr, and had a big miswak, like bigger than this, uh, and, and then started talking to me, and it was, very, it was very rough around the edges, I was used to that, and you're like, and your name is, and uh, <laughs> I was like, man, who's this guy? And then, um, you know what this is? Do you know what that is? And making sure that I'm going to be set straight. And then there was no beating around the bushes. It's like, all right, this is the tartib here. This is what you're going to do. You're going to do this, 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 and this. You got a problem with this? And I remember one of the first things that you said is, yeah, you got a problem with tawassal, right? <laughs> it was like a filter to weed out. <laughs> the first filter to weed out all, any type of person who would have an issue. And uh, I was like scared stiff. <laughs> the next person was Ibrahim Osiefa. I gave him more scared stiff, right? <laughs> but subhanAllah. Uh, and then um, I gave him more. So you put were in the level for me as like the elder guard and those people that I looked up where, where we're headed in, in, in this dawah and in this talim. So I never forget that. And now we're in a situation where we're only about two hours away by plane. Detroit, Michigan, not that far away from us. So tell us, uh, first of all, let's get to how did you get from Oakland to Tarim? How is a, a young man, if I'm not mistaken, you're from Oakland, California, right? So I'm from Berkeley. Oh, it's muted, right? How? Yeah. Good? Okay. So I'm actually was born and raised in Berkeley, California, but I was part of a jama'at that is in Oakland, California. A jama'at? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was presided over by an imam who's actually recently passed, Imam Abdullah Musa. And um, how did I get to Tadim? 
the acting Amir in the masjid I was a part of that was in Oakland, he advised me to start reading Al-Imam al-Ghazali. Mm. I really just fell in love with Al-Imam al-Ghazali from the trans old translation of Ihyad al-Nadim. And that inspired me to want to study. And this was, like, you converted into this Jama'ah? So I converted when I was a high school student in Berkeley High School in my junior year. Berkeley. Yeah. And then I, uh, there were members of this Jama'ah that attended Jumu'ah and, um, and other, they were at UC Berkeley. And I met them and then got introduced to uh, that community and eventually resided in that community in Oakland. Mashallah, mashallah. Yeah. Okay. And then, so how did you learn about Tareem? So I learned about, uh, so first of all, I began Imam Ghazali. Then uh, I had a sister-in-law who is um, who was studying at Jami' Abi Nur in Damascus while Imam Zaid was there, Imam Zaid Shakir. And they, she was on home, on, at home for a visit to, um, to the United States. And there was a dean intensive held in 1995 in New Mexico at Dar es Salaam. So I attended that and was introduced to um, Sheikh Zaid Shakir there, was very much inspired by uh, Sheikh Abdullah Al-Qadi, um, and also Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was present, and um, the teachings were very inspiring. Um, and essentially, what I understood was that, um, you know, what's described in Ihya, that's what I want to do. And, and these brothers uh, could perhaps point me in that kind of a direction. So um, my sister-in-law was already in Syria based. I began, I corresponded some with uh, Sheikh Zaid, but especially uh, Sheikh Abdullah Al-Qadi, he introduced me to, um, to uh, Sheikh Nuh Keller. And I began corresponding with him and his wife as well. And then through my sister-in-law applied to study in Damascus. And then, um, and then moved there to study. And then in the summer of 97, Sheikh Nuh Keller and his wife sent a group of us to um, Tadim for the first, our first attendance of what was then the third Dora Saifiyah, the summer intensive in Tadim. Sheikh Musiafa, Sheikh Jamaluddin Haisah, and, and the Fakir traveled down, um, sent by Sheikh Nuh Keller and his wife to attend that Dora. And there we were introduced to Habib Omar, Habib Ali al-Jifri, Habib Ali Mashur, Habib Omar's older brother, Habib Kaldim, and Sheikh Omar Hussein Khatib, a lot of those who are, who are our teachers later, we were introduced there in 1997. MashaAllah, so you're passing on 25 years now um, yeah. with that connection, MashaAllah. Now, a lot of people and are, are, are always interested in the Muslim history in their country, and we don't have a big Muslim history here. Um, the North American Muslim powwow was an event that took place, I believe, two years in a row, 1995 and 1996. My friend's older brothers all went to that. And from there, a lot of people went to Syria. And that, those events were, it was like a conference, but in the middle of New Mexico, in this um, ranch that was built with a masjid that was built as a Muslim community. What's, what, was, what is it called again? Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam, yeah. And uh, I don't know business. if it still exists. It exists, but there's not a lot of people residing there because it's so remote. Yeah, it's but so it's, remote. 
Yeah. But they if I'm not mistaken, the builder is the Egyptian architect who was involved in the Haram, building of the Haram in Mecca. And he thought this was an interesting project to do on the condition that he would build it solely from the physical materials that were natural to New Mexico. This was like an experiment for him. And so everything's made out of adobe, right? Adobe that's like covered with lime. I yeah, suppose. it's adobe, yeah. And they even they even accomplished domes. It's really and nice tiled floors. Domes, yeah. tile floors. And this is the first of its kind in North America. And it's something built with a natural Islamic uh, heritage in mind, basically. But this powwow was, was not just shiuch, it was all persuasions were there, right? All types of persuasions, Islamic leanings and slants and persuasions were there, right? But it seems like the ones who stole the show was Sheikh Nuh, Nuh Keller was there, Sheikh uh, Hamza Yusuf and Imam Zaid Shakir. And then Abdullah Al-Qadi. Sheikh Nuh Keller was there one of those years. He was there the previous year. The previous I went in 95. He wasn't there in 95, but he had been previously there in 94. Yeah. And also, I didn't attend the powwow. There was a dean intensive after the powwow. That oh, I attended. Okay, right after. Yeah, yeah. But it was, like you said, it was affiliated with that Muslim powwow. Yeah. I think even uh, maybe, uh, maybe um, you know, like Imam Al-Amin would have come, just a lot of different Muslim, Imam yeah. uh, Jamil Al-Amin and a lot of different Muslims from yeah. different backgrounds. Yeah. It might be even fair to say that from the traditional persuasion of, of the Muqallids and the Ahl al-Madhahib, that is probably the first conference in North America. One might say that. I, w I would, though I would be careful to say that because... I, I probably you probably put Jamaat Tabligh in the in the uh you know category of Mukhalidun. Yeah. And they've had conferences for a long time. Yeah, they've had conferences. And believe it or not, in New York, there were Hanafi Qadris from Pakistan who dominated the Dawah scene in Manhattan and Brooklyn for a long time. A long time. Until they were trans uh, you know, pushed out of that scene. But there was a Desi Sheikh, I can't remember who, what his name was, and he had some American convert followers that he was training in Hanafi fiqh and in the Qadiriya. And that's in our history books too. But they were very quickly usurped and, and, and sort of bullied out of that scene. So right. there are these antecedent um, things where their chain is broken, but they're there in like the, the early history. Of, of Islam in America, which I think it's it's important to have that sense because any anything you care about, you want to track its origins. And you want to see where you got, what you're taking from today, where did it come from? It didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of somewhere. So uh, this means that you Sheikh came from Daoud Faisal, who was in New York as well. What was his name? His name was Sheikh Daoud Faisal. Yes. He gave uh, Shahada to a lot of the early African-American converts. Mm -hmm. And later that was spawned into the Dar al-Islam movement, some of those people's, his influence, yeah. uh, influenced people that were influential in that. And I believe they had a Shadali connection. Shadali connection. And Dawood Faisal, his sheikh was the, hailed from Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken? I'm not, I don't, I'm not certain of that. Yeah, I'm not certain of that. I believe you may be talking about the Fukra. And uh, they were a branch that split off of the Dar al Islam, and yeah. they had they did have a, uh, a sheikh from uh, 
from Pakistan that they're following. They call him Sheikh Jailani. Yeah. So those are some early um, uh, movements that came that came around. Now you end up studying in um, all these places in Syria and then down to Tarim, Yemen. Uh, before yeah, I moved to Tarim to in about 1999 to reside. Did two years in uh, in in Syria, and then moved to uh, to um, Tarim in about 1995. 1995, uh, yeah. 99, you moved there. In 1999, yes, yeah, excuse me, yeah. And you ended up staying there a decade. If that if more than that, I relocated to Michigan in 2012. Oh, so you stayed there 13 years, mashallah. As a base, yeah. I had after about five years, I was in and out yeah. quite a bit, but um, but as a base, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm sure that uh, and everything has uh, one a peak or something that stands out most. Why don't you share with us if I can ask you? Um, Something that happened to you in Tarim or that you came upon and saw that had the strongest defining impact upon you that people could benefit from if they hear the story? Um, I, I mean, so there's a rolling joke in, in my um, household um, that times when I spend, when I spend times with Habib Omar, whether it's on the road or whether it is in Tadim, um, I'll regularly return home and say that was the best night of my life. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Um, so it would be difficult to find one thing that had a defining impact. Um, but what I could say is, um, you know, one part of that was that we we flew into the airport on the coast. Um, it's called Rayan is a city. They'll call it Mokella, but it's actually in Rayan. Who received us? Habib Kadam Sakaf received us from the airport. He was, you know, essentially our hospitality. Um, so then we drove into the interior. It's about a four-hour drive. And um, and our aim was to investigate whether we could move our, our families there. And when I began... Um, you know, studying Imam Ghazali, I said, I want to go find people that are like those described in Ihya mm -hmm. and just, you know, live with them and emulate them and, and, and follow their way. So then um, as soon as we hit the interior of Haldermal, I said, I, I knew I was coming back. Then we drove into Tadim. It was nighttime. We loaded up in land cruisers and then drove to uh the, the grave of Nabi Lahud in the canyon of Nabi Lahud. Um, and the first night, Habib Omar and Habib Ali Mashur, his older brother, had already had already gone to sleep. His older brother recently passed, Allah The two of them had gone to sleep, and they were in those days, a lot of times they would sleep on the roofs in the hot months. So they were sleeping on the roof of the uh, of the, the cottage, the khadar of, of Habib Muhammad bin Salam bin Habib. And as we were guests, they instructed the people that are taking care of us to have us sleep up there with them. So we slept with them up there, and then we got up. And I don't recall Fajr very specifically. Um, and then for Kailula, we slept uh, downstairs in a big room. There was also the room where everyone had breakfast. So then we were awakened, and it was Habib Omar and his older brother, Habib Mishwar, and a lot of the other young students and Sada. 
and we woke up and we were waking up for breakfast. And that was the first time I was introduced to um, to Habib Omar properly, Hafidullah, and to Habib Mashur, Hafidullah. Um, and I remember in that majlis, just the, the, the scene and the relationship between them and the students um, and just their state, I immediately developed a love for the family of the Prophet And it was very logical to me. I just thought to myself, these are the people I've been sending salawat upon in, in my tashahud for all of these years. And I love them. Wow. Um, and that was, that, was, that was the beginning of the relationship. Habib Ali was staying in this little room down below that room. We met Habib Ali during that time. And one of the things that I saw during that visit was I had never seen. So when I, as, as, an, as a, an American convert, when I would read certain hadiths about the Sahaba and the Prophet like fighting over his wudu water or saving his perspiration or drinking the blood from his cupping rather than throwing it away, right? Like that kind of ta'zim and love is unusual to us culturally. I remember a brother I was very close to said, you know, it's sunnah to put food in your brother's mouth. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not ready for that sunnah yet, yeah. brother. <laughs> I'm not with that. <laughs> but um, seeing Al Habib Omar and his students and the love that existed between them and the adab that existed between them, made, all of that made sense. I remember that was the first lesson. Those are the two first lessons I took from that first day or two at Nabi Bahud. Now, since you mentioned the topic of the love of the Prophet wasallam, which is something that is, um, you read about it, we culturally may not understand some of it. But also, I want to bring up another point that I always think about, which is that it's, it's a theory, it's a, it's a theoretical thing that is very hard for many beginners to grasp because it, when you love somebody... You always love somebody because you, you've seen something from them. They've done something for you. They, their, their appearance is something that you like to look at. Whereas the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is centuries away from us, from a different culture. And many people, myself included, when I was a, a learner in the beginning, did not just simply did not understand how this is real. How is it real that you love someone you've never seen? How is it real that you've loved somebody that uh, you've never talked to? And many people also, naturally, can't really blame them. Imagine also, the Prophet doesn't know anything about you either, right? So you're, seems to be you're giving your heart, which is your most valuable thing, somewhere that has no rational sense behind it. There's no logic behind this. So hypothetically, I'm a new a learner and I come to you and I say alright I hear this talk I see everyone's talking about it and everyone's doing it but explain to me justify it to me bring it to me in a way that I can understand how would you answer this person um, so hopefully inshallah ta'ala a lot would have preceded that question mm-hmm um, and I would say that really um, the way to initiate someone into that is that we who receive them embody well the Prophet Sallallahu character and show them love first. Mm. Um, they love us uh, and thus um, that 
helps them love Allah. And uh, by loving Allah and loving these Muhammadan manifestations that they're seeing from other Muslims, um, that establishes a relationship for them with the, the Habib. Um, and I'm saying that based on a, a couple of traditions. One, uh, and also experience. One, uh, three things, if they're in someone, in someone, they'll find the sweetness of, of faith. Someone who loves Allah and his messenger more than everything else. Someone who loves a slave and they only love them for Allah. Right? And the third, the one that hates to be cast uh, into the return of Kufr after being saved, the same way they would hate to be cast in, hate to be cast in the fire. That loving um, for Allah, those who are beloved to the messenger, is, uh, is a means um, that initiates one into loving Allah and his messenger. Also the hadith, um, love Allah due to what he nourishes you with of his blessings. Love me for the love of Allah and love the people of my house for my love. Right? That um, loving those who are beloved to the messenger leads to loving him better. And and if we could say, like in a pe the pedagogy of Tasawaf, can I talk really clearly about the pedagogy yes, of Tasawaf? You can. So they say that uh, a, 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 an aspirant will become annihilated in their sheikh first. Um, meaning that like all they can think about is their sheikh, and it can be it, be, it, it can be kind of off-putting when you meet someone who's like that, um, because um, at that point that's all they're focusing on, and that leads to annihilation in the Rasulullah, which needs to leads to a annihilation in Allah. So as you stated, um, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam is somewhat abstract for most of us. Um, in that he's removed by, you know, more than a, a millennium by cultural and, and uh, you could even say behavioral things that if we're raised here are unusual. Um, but meeting someone who really embodies his teachings is not abstract. Mm -hmm. And um, typically those are, very, for someone with belief, those are very powerful life-changing experiences. Mm -hmm. And really, if I were to say, that's it being initiated into that relationship um, chain, if you will, by someone who's really beloved and embodies his character. So to, 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 in a roundabout way, um, I would say we have to show those new Muslims or people that have recently come to us, whether they're returning Muslims or whatever, we have to show them love for Allah's sake and prophetic character. Um, and, and these teachings like at one level, the Shemayel are words that we transmit. And the Quran are words that we transmit. At another level, they're light that is passed on from a, gen from a previous generation to a successive generation. And um, those that have received that light, um, from them that light can be taken. And if that light enters the heart, um, and faith becomes sound, um, one and one tastes faith, uh, one's love uh, and loathing will be properly calibrated. So uh, this matter cannot be taken as a theory. It has to be taken not, from a human. Yes, yeah, not theoretical. And that, that could be cast in the heart. There could be in shirah. I'm, I mean, I know people that they saw a dream of the Prophet before they embraced Islam, right? Um, you know, 
and but but it's 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 from Allah and it's gifted to the heart and ultimately it's iman. Mm -hmm. A heart with healthy iman will love the Messenger Allah Yes. And to the degree of the strength of iman, someone will have love of the Messenger. Yes. And so um, and to the degree of love of the messenger, one will have a man. Mm -hmm. It goes yeah. both ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it, it brings to mind the, the concept that those who are living today, those who are near to you in history, have a greater impact on you. While those who are further back, such as the Salaf, are the pure, most perfect examples. But those who are closest to you, they actually have a greater impact. So it's that a, a good Muslim friend for a high schooler, let's say, because the theme of, of this live stream is for, I always try to put it, for those who are brand new in learning anything about Islam. So that's why we always bring that to, to, to the bare bone basics, the first steps that a Muslim is going to take. So for a high schooler like that or a college student to meet a Muslim friend who is a practicing Muslim friend who they get along with and they love, or a, a young teacher has more impact upon them than if you were to give them a book about Abu Bakr Siddiq. While we know for sure Abu Bakr is more pure and greater in rank. But it's amazing how Allah has distributed the blessing. That because if it was the pure in rank is pure and has the most impact, there would be no way for us to get good deeds. Right? Whereas Allah has put people who are close to you in time and space and culture and everything else and age even to have a greater impact upon you than anybody else. So it all goes back to uh, suhba, and that's why it would seem to be there is a great emphasis, the structure of the daily life of such teachers or the structure of the religious life always revolves around the concept of gatherings. Gatherings and stuff, yeah. And that's one of the things that I felt was, probably without realizing it, the, the theory of it, it was exciting, right? And you felt like you're part of a big group. And you felt like you're part of something far greater than yourself. And so talk to us about the importance of gatherings in the health of a Muslim community. Allahu Akbar. If I may, just on the point you said of suhba, so... Just a disclosure, like I was just doing all kind of things before I embraced Islam, I'll put it like that. I was in the late 80s in, in a, high, a public high school in the Bay Area. I was doing all kind of stuff, you know, um, and you could just fill in the blanks there. Um, so I embraced Islam, went cold turkey, no longer drinking alcohol, uh, immediately married, stopped having girlfriends. Fasted my first Ramadan, alhamdulillah, never missed a day of fasting. Made up my prayer, will write down my prayers. Took me a while to eventually make them all up. Um, but that was very difficult. Mm. I believed it was a truth, but it was a chore. When did it become pleasant? Um, and you could say to begin tasting a sweetness. When there was a young khatib, he was, he was a tablighi. I believe he was Sharif who just had really incredible, incredible akhlaq, and I loved him for Allah's sake. Loving for someone for Allah's sake was what made Islam just a chore that was a righteous chore into something that was just something that I was in love with mm -hmm. um, and enjoyed. 
Now, in terms of the gatherings, uh, you know, <laughs> subhanAllah. Um, those days, those early days when the Dawah was really, really strong in Hadramaut, um, you know, it was as if all there were, all there was, was Habib. I felt like Habib Ali Mashur was the mayor. Like Habib Omar was a sheikh that was leading all of these, uh, you know, young men. And anywhere he went, and in those early days, a lot of times, especially that first visit, we could jump in the car with him. And I managed to kind of hang on to that lifestyle for a number of years. When he would jump in, it would be like about at least seven of us always in the Land Cruiser. Mm -hmm. And if we go in a short distance, there would be guys standing on the running boards and maybe like someone might even ride on the luggage rack on the top. And then we just go to gatherings with, you know, whether it was a Mawlid and Masjid Saroor on the roof there. I remember that. Jelzat uh, Nain used to move around the various neighborhoods. And and I, um, you know, African-American Islam uh, was heavily influenced by, um, you know, civil rights and black nationalist movement mentality, you could say, ideology, better to say. Right. Um, a lot of our elders, you know, a lot of our elders might have been former Panthers. They might have come out of the nation. Um, they were influenced by, you know, the ideological, political, ideological Islamic movements out of the Middle East because they had a strong, you know, influence on the discourse here. Whether or not we agree with some of their um, their teachings, they influenced the discourse. So we were very movement oriented. Um, and I felt when I was attending um, those gatherings and, and you could say events and that building and revival, really, I would say that I was seeing the most powerful movement I had ever seen. SubhanAllah. In Dar Mustafa and traveling around Tareem and Hadramaut. All over Tareem and Hadramaut, yeah. SubhanAllah. Dar Mustafa wasn't really built then. There was one hallway was open during our first visit. Mm. They were still functioning out of, um, the students were still living in like various houses that were rented. And the teachings were in uh, Masjid Mola ID primarily. SubhanAllah. Or exclusively, exclusively in Mola ID or other places around Tareem. None of them in Dharma stuff yet. SubhanAllah. And what drove that strength? And how does a person tap into that strength? Um, as I mentioned, you know, one, you fall in love, yeah. Fall in love with the Shiu. Yeah, I fall in love for Allah's sake. That's what I'd say we have to teach new Muslims or young people. Like, if we're teachers, they should fall in love with us. We're good teachers. Yeah. And 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 how is that by us being extremely good to them? Mm. That's how it was with the Prophet and even enemies. He was so good to them and just emanated so much light and goodness that they would fall in love with him. And then if that occurs, everything's straightened out. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that in our case. I mean, you know, people will see plenty from us that's not accurate, and we have to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's levels of tarbiya that we have to be very clear are, are above um, our station. But nonetheless, we, you know, Habib described in the Australian tour, what are you doing? Spreading the lights of love. That's what he called his Dawah tour in Australia. Or what he said of it. What are you doing here? Spreading the lights of love. Now you're now in a position where you're you are heading an organization, uh, a ribat, uh, Dar al-Rahma, in which now um, 
you're going around, have a center, and go around doing dawah and calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the, the things that I find that is a contrast between all the old days and the new era that we're in, the world that we're in today, is that in the old days, you really didn't have access to a lot of people who were active. And when you did see somebody who had something to give to the world and to do, they took up 80% of your attention, right? There was no competition except maybe a person down the road here or there. Today's world, there are so many avenues to dilute what uh, the local person that's right in front of you, that influence. So when you're, when you're talking about Tareem, when I'm imagining, I'm imagining like an empty landscape where there is all the focus can hone in on one individual, right? And maybe one or two competitors around, whether they have different ideologies or the same even. But today's world, how do we f- deal with this situation where um, there may be a, a, an imam, who's doing everything, yet again, boom, I can go on the phone and I can find 50 imams, right? And even if I follow my sheikh, there's a dilution that happens. Things are diluted now. And I remember how you, we, a person could go from, a, from an amazing gathering, you go home, you go straight to bed. Now you go from an amazing gathering, it was an amazing experience. By the time you get home and you go to bed, in order for that thing to settle in your head, you've had 50 influences push your mind in different directions in between then and then, right? Talk to us about this kind of, this, this, how do we regain focus and, and, and the dilution of, of influence of positive influence that this new modern world gives us. Allahu Akbar. It's a challenge. Um, so it's ironic, but, um, you know, I was staff of Sunni Path, which was the first online Islamic academy. Yeah. And I feel that um, the prolifer- proliferation of online um, avenues for learning has diluted the Islam, has weakened seekers of knowledge and diluted the Islamic discourse, not strengthened it. Yeah. I've felt that for a long time. It's ironic though, because I was, you know, a participant. Um, I would say that uh, we teachers have to make sure to have meaningful in-person interactions with anyone that we're serving, teaching, inviting to Allah, and what have you. We need to insist on it. Um, we need to be um, somewhat, uh, what do we say? I don't, I'm going to say creative. I'm saying creative rather than innovative in that. Um, and I would say for students, similarly, if you really want to grow, you have to find someone that you can connect with in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the other influences, I would say that um, light is not going to do light. Um, you know, uh, good is not going to do good. And I've seen this a lot. I wouldn't, I would be careful. I would caution us from saying that, um, seeing others as, as competitors, for example, like when I send brothers 
and they benefit from my ikhwan that, that are on a similar mashrab. And when I say similar mashrab, I mean a similar, you know, understanding of Islam and, and aspiration, um, not necessarily the same tariqah. I find that that strengthens those students and will strengthen my relationship with them and their growth. Yeah. Um, so I don't believe light is going gonna, is gonna to be detrimental, though, if a student, even say Dr. Shadi or Abdul Kareem, I have a lesson or you have a lesson, and the student says, oh, he's going to live stream it anyway, I'm going to sit at home and listen to it, mm-hmm. versus go and connect to you physically, that is diluting that student's yeah. learning. It's a you downgrade. Know, it's a downgrade. It's a downgrade. And I saw that with people I met that I taught online. Yeah. That I had t- the amount I had taught them, the amount of courses they had taken and completed. And when I would meet them, um, I felt that were they to have done the same physically, um, they would have been further along. That's and why... if you're physically studying, you're, you're praying with that person. Mm-hmm. You're doing dhikr with them. You're eating with them. You know, there's a lot of other types of learning that happen that are not just um, transmission of information outside of the class. And, and just because of that, uh, one of we have a track that's online, and then we have a track that we refuse to put online, or even record unless someone's sick. Allahu Akbar. Yeah. Uh, of of some of the uh, the shiuch that we have here that teach. And when they teach, it's on purpose that we don't put them online, and um, uh, we will, we refuse to put them online to force the person to come in. And we don't have a log of recordings either, right? Hello. We only have if you're sick, your friend may record it for you, right? And if they don't, they don't. So uh, that is to because we have all this online things. Nobody could say we're not doing it online, right? You have access. But this thing, so uh, should not be diluted. As a chef, he said, you should not. When a chef, he said about answering the ignorant person, um, or giving knowledge to an ignorant person, is like putting a beautiful necklace on a donkey. Likewise, certain things you never want to 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 dilute it, and they should only be purely in person. And which is why I believe, and Allah knows best. Have you noticed that the most remote areas? have produced some of the best results in the Islamic world? Like, where, where is Yemen and Mauritania in Islamic history? Like, it's not prevalent. They're not the dominant locations. Why all of a sudden they became dominant locations for many of us? It's because you can focus when you're there. If you go to Cairo, there is a million things happening at any time, and 90% of people will not have the discipline to ignore those things. Like, I'm here, I'm never going to come to Cairo again, I got to see this, right? That mentality can take place, can, can, can take someone over, and you end up being scattered, right? Your mind's scattered. Whereas if the places are more remote, A, it takes a lot more himma to go there, and B, there just isn't that many things to distract you. There aren't that many things to distract you. Now, I want to ask you this now piggybacking from the in on the in-person point if someone was to fly into detroit michigan today what is the schedule of dara rahma what's your life like there what's your schedule like there and how could a person just be in detroit for those maybe who are listening from detroit as is 
how could they benefit and how could they um what would they do on, 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 give, give us a, a day-to-day schedule what it looks like what's your week look like um alhamdulillah so this is a disclosure right now i'm in something of a of a seclusion Mm-hmm. So this isn't my full schedule right now. Uh, inshallah, till after I um, visit my own shayukh, perhaps it may not be the full schedule. But typically we try to um, pray Fajr and Jama'ah and read um, morning adkar from the compilation Al-Khulasa. And then uh, ex- not on Monday or Tuesday, but other days of the week, there'll be a lesson. Except uh, Friday morning, we read um, Surah Al-Kahf and a salawat on the Prophet Sallallahu and that's up until Duha. And that's been the schedule through the majority of our time. Though right now, I'll say as a disclosure, the brothers are maintaining that medjlis, and, and I'm typically not attending with them right now. Um, Tuesdays, Mondays and Tuesdays, just brothers praying uh, in Jama'ah together. Um, actually, the Quran students study with my son-in-law regularly on weekdays. Um, yes. That's between. That's up until Duhar. Couple days of the week, the sisters uh, meet for a Quran reading or something like that. And there's homeschoolers meeting during the day. But Mondays and Tuesdays are a little bit slower, excluding the daily prayers and then that morning medjlis if it occurs. Um, and then every other Wednesday, in addition to that, we have a, a men's halakha for futuwa. Um, and there's some lessons that I'm not the one who does them in majalis. So forgive me if I if I forget anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good thing now. Others are are conducting programs that I don't always even know all of them if I don't talk to those who maintain who, who you know supervise the schedule. Um, Thursday night after Maghrib, we gather and read a poem of Salawat on the Prophet and description of his Sirah the Alama that's authored by Habib Omar. Mm-hmm. That's between Maghrib and Isha. Pray, uh, there's remind like wad talks that are given, admonitions that are given. That occurs between Maghrib and Isha. Um, Friday morning, as we mentioned, then Jumu'ah prayer at Jumu'ah time. These days, Asr right after Jumu'ah and a salawat on the Prophet Sometimes we'll have an evening program, sometimes not. Sometimes we might go out to another locality. Um, Saturday, same morning program, a Dohar lesson at the Muslim Center of Detroit. There may be an evening program, like if other organizations or communities invite me, I'll put it on like Friday or Saturday nights. Sometimes brothers will ride to those. Um, Sunday, we uh, have a, a, a meeting and lesson for main volunteers, and then uh, what's called a roha, a lesson in like books of Rakhayak, books of Shemayel and Tasawuf. And then the Burda reading right now is after Maghrib. Um, normally, uh, in the summer, it'll be before Maghrib because Maghrib's so late. So and, you mentioned the prayers a lot. So Darul Rahma is a public masjid. Yeah, it's a masala. It's a public masala. Yeah. Anybody could could go in and 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 pray there, and yeah, any yeah. and and maybe it won't be open between the prayers, but for the prayers it will be open. Oh, we're unlocked pretty much from Fajr to Isha. Fajr to Isha. Okay, mashallah. Now let me ask you this: When someone mentions Detroit, Michigan, you have uh, Dearborn, and you have that other town that has a Native American name to it, uh, with an H. What is it called again? Um, Next to Dearborn, Hamtramck. Hamtramck, and from my little experience in Michigan, in Detroit, is that there are a lot of Yemenis there. 
There's a lot of Yemenis. There's a lot of Lebanese, Iraqis, yes. Bengalis, and Hamtramck. So it's a very, it's a unique, uh, it's a unique, it's unique from that respect. Most places, most cities will be dominated by Daisies. With a uh, uh, second after that will be some Arabs, and then you have the different ethnicities. Here you have a lot of Yemenis. Now, why I bring that up is that number one, it's probably the densest population of Yemenis in the Western Hemisphere, possibly. And you studied in Yemen, right? So does that, is there a link there that you have a connection with those people when you interact with them? Or is it that you studied in a different part of Yemen that they don't relate to Hadramaut in that respect? Um, so I will say that like the deer, Dearborn is its own beast. Mm -hmm. uh, Dearborn, Hamtramck, the Arab American community, but especially Dearborn, those who know Michigan will know what, what I'm saying. Um, it's an old community. Like some of them have Anglo anglicized first names. They have English first names, like like uh, Andy Bedjoun or something like that. Well, he's a Yemeni, not a Yemeni. The the, oh, the Lebanese. Lebanese and the Jordanians. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I will say that, and also because of the currents in the Arab world, uh, the political ideological currents in the Arab world, and like our Meshrab. And then also something about uh, what, I, you know, what I know of Al Arab. I actually, my relationship to the Arab American community decidedly when I first got here was I wanted it to be la li wa la ale. I was just trying to come off unscathed, right? I was trying to not end up with arguments with Wahhabis, basically. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was productive. And, and if I could disclose that, like, when we organized tours for some of the Habayib, some of the Yemeni Yemeni influenced mosques actually declined their chuppah uh, um, because of again ideological differences um, that they have with uh, the ulama of Hadramaut essentially. So um, so I have those that I have very good relations with, but I haven't focused on that community a lot. The community we focused on are the African American community, mm -hmm. seekers of knowledge of all backgrounds, and pretty much that, and new Muslims. Those are the areas we focus on. And what um, is your method? Of so we'll have the odd Yemenis come through. We we do have some Dearborn guys. And I just had this conversation in the last week with a brother that's uh, Syrian-American. I said, you guys need a, a really strong haraka among the Arab-American community. Um, but for me, I just uh, was trying to pick my battles wisely and take low-hanging fruit at first. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and for that reason, I focused on other areas. And what do you mean by strong haraka? Just, yeah, strong, active dawah among the Arab American population here. We need it. Oh, um, yeah. But I'm trying to put some of the shabab that come from that population on it. Just like me kind of coming out of a, you know, indigenous jamaat in Oakland, mm -hmm. having the teachings, benefiting from the teachings that I've benefited from, I have a responsibility to take that back to jamaats like that. And anyone who comes, seekers of knowledge, you know, anyone who comes, um, and new Muslims. Yeah. Okay, now let me ask you this. Um, is your dawah organic, or is there a method by which you interact with non-Muslims? Or is it just like through converts and their families, for example? Yeah, that's mainly it, through or converts and their families. And, I, and But now that we have a physical presence, uh, also by, by good interaction with the neighbors. Yeah. And, and yeah. is it just like general polite interactions, or is there anything concrete? No, like cleaning up the neighborhood, feeding. 
things like that. That's yeah. good. Mashallah. Mashallah. So that's exciting work. And are you next to that big mosque in Detroit that you see? It looks to me it was a strip mall that they purchased because the way that it's structured looks like a strip mall that they purchased and established the Islamic Center of Detroit. I'm not far from there. ICD, I'm not far from there. Not yeah. far from there, mashallah. Because, yeah. yeah. So Dada Rahma should probably be on Google now. We're on there, yeah. For every, anyone who wants to go there, it is a physical space that is run by Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya. And you could see that Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya, his da'wah is based upon, it is directed to uh, who he just mentioned, of Tullab Ilm seekers of spirituality uh converts and new muslims and that theme of the love of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam it comes to you through the gatherings that they have there he said he's in a hiatus at this moment or in a seclusion at this moment but we'll be back and there are mashallah so you have trained people um and they're running the the majadis which that is a big achievement so from 2012 it's now 2023 um 11 years would make sense now that you have some people who can now uphold the, 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 some of the fundamental gatherings that will give you a breather, which is important. Yeah, yeah it's a, that's a big uh, post-pandemic aid. Mm -hmm. When we got full-time students, yep. um, they were able to begin uh, maintaining the, the, the Thursday night gathering, the um, Buddha, yep. Jumu'ah, prayers, whether I'm present or not. But... One of the things, though, is the strong students always go abroad to study. So that's, that's, the that's, that's the next thing. we got to develop more. Uh, we need more faculty. Yeah, A lot of our strong guys have been sent out. Though we have two guys coming back uh, that were sent uh, this Ramadan, so they'll be doing some teaching. So that's exciting. That's I'm good. Ready. Sheikh Omar Popel the other day mentioned that when he went to Tadim the first time, and he, of course he's much younger than you, and he's slightly younger than me, uh, the, he didn't go to Dar Mustafa right away. He had spent one year in Ribat in Inet. And, That's excellent. Yeah. And that Ribat, they basically, it's a, tr it's a boot camp or a training ground to be in a formal institution such as Dar Mustafa where there are classes, you're expected to know Arabic, you're not expected to ask basic questions on things, you get that training. And I get the feeling, I felt for myself like, oh, that's a lot of our institutions are like that, right? Where, where are these ribats that people come in? The fundamentals will be covered here, right? Like the fundamental questions that people will ask. A brand new student of knowledge or someone doesn't even know what a student of knowledge is. Like many Muslims may not even know there's a concept called student of knowledge. That there's a concept called seeker. Like someone who's aspiring for matters of their heart. They might not even know what that is. Introducing that, paving that road putting in the cinder blocks of Tahara Salah so you don't have to ask these basic questions, you can hit the ground running in any of these higher level institutions and the sheikh, the shiuch will be like, okay, this is somebody who um, we can teach now without worrying about their stability. So this is a similar situation where some of the best and the brightest, they will graduate on and hopefully they'll come back and there'll be staples after that, right? There'll be staples and pillars uh, afterwards, but to establish that pipeline it becomes an extension of our programs, right? That pipeline, you're going to go in there, you're going to do two, three years there, four years there. Maybe you come back, maybe you don't, but if you do come back, there's a spot for you here. So it seems like you're already, you know, a little bit past us in that phase where you have stu students going and coming. 
we have students going. We pray to Allah. We're going to talk to the shayukh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We we need to build faculty. That's uh, that's next phase. We have physical construction going on. Yeah, but the faculty component is more important. Believe it or not, I remember Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. um, I I remember being at a rihla in um, in California, where Sheikh Hamza Yusuf um, was frowning at a brother who he loved. And he said, it's, it's time to come back. It's been five years. Like, we need you back, right? And it's the first time me hearing that, right? Because you always just think one direction. When you're young, you only think of the future. You never think of that you'll ever be needed to come back, right? When you're young, you never think that, that you, one day you may have a, be a, part, a giver yourself. You're just a taker, taker, taker. Right? Let us now turn to the audience. Uh, let's turn to our audience on YouTube. Let's uh, and and I'm take we're taking up a lot of Sheikh's time. Um, let's if you Sheikh give us ten more minutes. Uh, some of our audience here may not have an uh, uh, opportunity to ask you uh, questions again. So let's now put your questions in in the box, uh, uh, in the chat. I mean, and we'll start taking them. Uh, Rai, could you check the Instagram? Because again, I think I left my iPad in Connecticut. To be when we went to Connecticut, I think I left my iPad there, uh, believe it or not. But let's take questions now from our audience. What do we have here? Are these posted in our chat, or are you going to read them? No, I'm, I'll read them to you. They're from, um, they're on the YouTube uh, channel where all of our attendees are right now. All of the attendees are between YouTube and Instagram, and then we will, uh, I'll read them off for you. <clears throat> all right, our first question is, what is... The fastest salah on the Messenger وسلم, that will achieve for us a genuine love of the Prophet. It's a good question. It's a common question, but it's a good question. That's an excellent question. Uh, and I would say that um, all and any salawat are excellent. Um, and I wouldn't say that one salawat is going to. Achieve. And another thing is. Uh, we should be careful about uh, cause-effects relationships and spiritual growth. Subhanallah. That's heavy. Um, That's very heavy. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jaydani, he said, speaking to good deeds, metaphorically. Biki la nasil wa la budda minki. Subhanallah. Amazing. We don't arrive through you, but you are a must. Amazing. Uh, salawat or anything, we establish those as works out of servitude to Allah. Um, but we don't anticipate them as um, the cause of results. Allah gifts those results. Um, it's mohiba. It's not. Um, it's not tasabub. It's a gift from Allah. Love of the Messenger is a gift from Allah. Subhanahu wa taala. Ask Allah for it and take the means of it. Salawat being one of them. Um, all and any salawat are good, but uh, we would uh, encourage um, to do them with. Uh, reverence, presence, and to the degree that you can call it to heart, a sense of longing for the messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wa And we, But we separate that from the causation. Not a cause-effect relationship. Not a cause. And which is amazing because Sayyid Habib Muhammad al-Saqaf of Jeddah, we had a few shabab go to Umrah for the first time. And we asked him for a parting advice. And he said, never imagine 
that the, the, the rise of your iman in, that happens at the Umrah and at the Ziyarah of the Messenger وسلم, is something dependent upon a location. Correct. Yeah. And amazingly that Habib uh, Ubaidullah Saqqaf said the same thing when he said that you are now in Mecca, leave, put Mecca in your heart. And again, it was protecting people from this concept that if I'm not in a place, I can't benefit. If I'm not with a person, I can't benefit. And that's an extremely important aqidah that I believe if that aqidah is incorrect, a person could be at a standstill by nothing but a chain that they created in their mind. They could be mm-hmm. chained by a chain that is nothing other than in their mind. That I will not, and you're actually hampering your belief in Allah's qudra. That you're hampered by not being with a human being or doing a deed or in a location, that those chains, for those online and those people who don't have Dara Rahmas in their territory, in their country and everything like that, and they can't travel to Tadim and they can't sit in Majadis, you have to break these chains by the name Ya Qadri Ya Muqtadir. Allah is capable of arriving you at a higher station than someone who is right there having all the asbab and that's an uh, obligatory aqidah not a recommendation it's an obligatory aqidah so that beautiful saying of abdul qadir al-jailani la nasilu biki walakin la budda minki la nasilu wala budda minki biki la nasilu wala budda minki oh deeds all good deeds and good places and good everything else uh by you we do not arrive but you're necessary in other words Necessary how? Necessary to your extent of capacity, right? It's necessary. So if you're someone... Uh, out of Ubudiyya, it's a must. Allah commanded us. Yes. Yeah. To, uh, uh, at your capacity, if you're somebody who's listening out there from a Cardiff and some of these cities that I see mentioned here that we don't even know where they are on a map, and there are no shiukh there, there's nothing there, and you're stuck with two jobs, and... You may feel, when you hear these stories, inspired half the time, then depressed. And we want to break that. No, what you're capable of doing, that's what Allah asks you to do. If you can never leave Cardiff and these cities, that's, that's Allah's will for you. But you can set your alarm and get up for tahajjud. You can recite the Quran and do what you can do. And some have said, the moment that you do what you can do, the sabab of your wasul will come straight to you. You won't even go to it. And Allah knows best. Let's take an, another question. Arabic before going to Tareem. Necessary or unnecessary? Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Females in and Tareem. I, I, would say, I would say that uh, the scholarship program that I was on in Syria, um, you had to have at least a year of university Arabic or have gone through the courses that Sheikh Hamza Yusuf used to run in the Dean Intensives of Adramiya before they would award you a scholarship because what they observed is that people who arrive in the Arab world, in the Arab country, without any Arabic really struggle. So um, I would say highly recommended, meaning that it's not a condition of uh, Dar Mustafa for admission. They have an Arabic program there. But I would say anyone that I send or any scholarship that we give, just like the scholarship I was on, we're going to be doing work for that person's Arabic before they go. Okay, work on Arabic. And I consider that necessary for that person's success. Yes. So highly, highly recommended to take Arabic before you go to to any of the Arab worlds. And it is eventually Arabic is necessity for success because the books are in Arabic. Tuition's in Arabic. 
sisters and women going to Tarim. Can they go? What's the Tartib like? Do they have to have a mahram? Uh, I mean, in terms of their traveling, uh, the issue of mahram is there. Um, uh, in terms of their traveling, mm -hmm. uh, some of the fuqaha would say that, uh, you know, a trustworthy group of sisters would suffice, especially an obligatory journey like that. Um, when they are there, a mahram doesn't have to remain with them. I have three daughters that are there now. They're studying in Dar Zahra, which is a sister school of Dar Mustafa. Um, and basically, a woman who will be there that's not with her husband or parents has to be a boarding student, just like a young man, actually, too. A young unmarried men don't live outside of Dar Mustafa. They're boarding students. So basically, you're in Dar Mustafa, or in the case of the ladies, Dar Zahra, which is a boarding seminary for, for young Muslim women. Yeah. Good. Uh, what was the question on what is your favorite on Instagram, Ryan? That's funny. People are asking questions. I don't even have an Instagram. Yeah. I should have my guess, but I just, I can't keep up. Dharma, Dharma has one. Uh, yeah. uh, okay. She, okay. Go, this question Instagram. was saying, go back up. Oh, that was a comment. So this question, high schoolers, they're age 15, 16, they're so busy with school, and we know, and I wonder, to be honest with you, my my wife, she works in the Islamic school. Not she works. She's a very she's a high level administrator in the Islamic school, and we support all the Islamic schools. All right. Of course, I support hers first and foremost. But I always say this: I make these macro critiques. They're macro problems. It's not really that it's a real problem, but no one's going to solve it. I just wonder, you went to school for eight hours. What's the value of homework for another four hours? I don't understand. What were you doing in the school, right? They were supposed to teach you there. But one of the moms is bringing up a question. Boys, girls, 15, 16 years old, their entire life is dominated by high school. Where is the time for the dean? Can you give us some advice on how to, to what high schoolers can do? You have raised many kids, mashallah. And, uh, and did any of them go to a school? Uh, not that kind, no. Not that kind, right? Uh, where the, their their life is dominated by a school, right? No, actually, no. Some of them did. Some, some of, them, of did. them did. I have some some of my kids that were in Islamic school. And you, um, you yeah, you see that their so agendas dominated. I would by say, I would say that our family agendas should be dominated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala our seeking Allah should dominate our lives and our households and should permeate everything in our households mm -hmm. um the 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 first expression of that is a prayer should be an event for the family we talk about gatherings our family should have gatherings that they attend um our children should have a rod that they do. You know, like for, for our family, um, if we're out in the evening in the car, it's not uncommon. We're going to be reciting Ratib of the Memo Haddad. My high school age daughter, daughter, it's part of it is a factor of the community she resides in. Um, the Yeah. So this is all high school age that's in the States right now. She, um, she lives in Sheikh Yahya's community in, in, uh, in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. She recites regularly Weirdo Latif. Um, they regularly volunteer in, uh, 
and she does is in a school that's like online uh it's it's a it's a blended learning uh you know online islamic school you know blended learning thing um but they volunteer for the retreats here the boys that are here with me take them to the prayers they help clean up dar rahma they pass out the coffee and the oud and the molid and the gathering on thursday night um we should live you know when i came back I don't know where the question resides, but when I came back in 2012 and I was working in the suburbs, you know, what I observed in the life of a typical good Muslim in an American suburb is that they were fitting Allah into their schedule rather than making their schedule about Allah, right? And fitting everything else into that. Yeah. Um, and I would say that we all have to make that shift and our children should live that with us. That Allah is not just something that is squeezed into our schedule. Mm -hmm. Our whole schedule is about our relationship to Allah. And, and you know, we fit everything else in based on that priority. Some people have stronger personalities and stronger influence. You can have the strongest personality in the world, but the circumstance doesn't suit you. You can have um, a strong personality and your Allah has given you the permission or, or the ability to mold your circumstance. Based on your answer, I would say that at the very least, if you could have your family recite certain things at certain times, such as the awrad of the evening, to be recited together as a group um, after Salat al-Aisha or al-Maghrib, the Surat al-Kaf, it should be made sure everyone in the house recites it, whether you do that together or individually. The message should be something that's attended at least twice a week, and there should be at least one class attended in the masjid at least once a week, if you have those capacities. Like I said, some of you out there may not have any of these capacities, but you do have some capacities. And I believe that a Muslim in this day and age has to be a scrapper, a junkyard dog. We don't have, the world is not catering to you. It's not the Ottoman Empire where adhans and mysticism is flowing through the air. No, this is a secular, grungy world. And you have to be a fighter if you want this team. You got to be a junkyard dog that's going to jam in a widget here and jam it in. I don't care what happens, right? And people have tough lives out there. And this era is going to only produce tough Muslims. You can't be a soft Muslim. You can be soft in your personality, but in your convictions, you cannot be a softie. Okay? You cannot be soft. You, the secular world will run you over, will attract your kids. You have to fight that stuff, right? You have to say no to that stuff. Oh, my friend's doing such and such. Well, we don't do this. Period. Discussion is over. Okay? And But you have to replace it with something else, with a lot of love and something that they love. So uh, for those who are out there, uh, like Zilda Zinn is talking about real life. Yeah, real life meaning the secular world that's dominated over us. Okay? Um Last question. Is a, is, a, is a commenter or that's an author? No, this was a, com a commenter. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I would say, though, to, to all of that and not to, to make it difficult, yeah. uh, that like people will tell me things all the time that they'll say that's their reality or real life. And I'll just say, I, I don't believe that. Who said it is? You, you can change yeah, it. Like, like some of it, like what we were talking about, Asbab. Uh, if you if you place cause and effect and circumstance, if you give it more than it's due, it imprisons you. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, we had a, a talk 
it's on our our Facebook page. An imam who's he's trained the most mannerly English speaking seekers of knowledge I've ever met. And they're not before I met them, we wouldn't call them seekers of knowledge. They were just mannerly, you know, indigenous African American Muslims that were very mannerly and really loved Allah and his messenger and just were great material for education. He talks about a woman who I knew her as a teacher in his school. She packed up her whole family, seven kids in a car, and drove up to Detroit because there was a Muslim school there and they wanted their kids in Muslim school. You know? Um, and, and they were residing with another family uh, for a while. And um, her son is one of my main volunteers. And uh, two, uh, two of her sons, two of her sons are main volunteers that are contributors to the community uh, that are some of the most beautiful people you ever want to meet. Um, you know, you don't have to give in to what people are saying is reality. You can make dramatic changes. And I'm not saying someone who can't make that, Allahu Akbar. But, you know, it, it may have to, it may entail relocating. It may entail selling all your stuff and going somewhere. Well, uh, okay. l let me add this in closing. The 9 to 5 work week, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's, it was invented by Henry Ford. We right. know who invented the idea. Right. Exactly. A human being. And it's not an old idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's that's, old. I mean... His 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 plants right down the street. His house is right down the yep. street. I could go visit his his graves. Actually, not far from here either. Yep. It's it's not an old idea. So how do we say that that's reality? You can yep. change reality, or uh, change what people think is their reality. We, everything that we see around us, including our conception of time, was began in the imagination of somebody or in the mind of somebody. And they had the boldness to say, hold on, I could actually reach in and change things, and I can make this happen. And so a guy like Henry Ford did things like that, right? So every reality that we think is the reality, it is, a, is, it, it is an, uh, an invention, an innovation, an action of a human being no different than us. And we may, And those pioneers, it's pretty lonely to be a pioneer, right? But eventually things catch on. And if we all live this life where the Hijri calendar takes precedent, the Ramadan is when we take off. If not, then the last 10 nights, at least, that's how we use our vacation time. Uh, Friday at Dhuhr, and there has to be time for that. So we establish these things. You may be lonely in the beginning, but it will catch on. And this is something guaranteed to catch on, because this is not... In innovation, this is the schedule that Allah has established for us, right? And exactly. if you're lonely, Allah will send angels to send you people to keep you company and get the ball rolling in altering the way we live daily, daily life and not being subject, uh, uh, enslaved to these things. In every workplace, there was some guy who said, hey, I need extra hour for Jummah. And he got it, right? Things like that. So, last question is, can we do dhikr out loud after salah? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. actually, the Prophet ﷺ, it's uh, masnoon that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, did dhikr that was loud after salah to the point that Ibn Abbas, when he used to hear it, he said, I missed the jama'ah. That's in, in Sahih Bukhari, Book of Adhan, chapter of dhikr behind salah. We'll end with, with one last question. What does it say, Ryan? Uh, how do you stay steadfast on progressing in your spiritual journey 
in times where it is becoming difficult? They ask second person singular. I visit my shiuch. That's what I do. Mm. Revive the visitation. Yeah. Revive the visitation. SubhanAllah reminds me what Imam Malik said that um, Muhammad ibn Munkadir was a, te- was, a, was, was a person that um, if I'm not, uh, uh, that he said that I would visit him once uh, a month and then the, uh, my heart would, would be revived you know, for 40 days or something like that. I would visit him and my heart would be revived. So, um, or he would say that if, if I, if I dislike my, my nafs, and this was the early words before, uh, the early terminology before the official terminology, like rust on the heart and things like, if you look in the setup, they had different terminology to express the same thing. He said, if I disliked my nafs, like ankartu nafsi, meaning I don't like my state, I rusty, I visit Muhammad ibn al-Munqadr, I look at his face and that holds me for 40 days, subhanAllah. Wow. So, Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahi, we kept you for more time, and we are taking okay. you away from your. That's support. an honor. Yeah, it's an honor. It's an honor yeah. for me, and uh, if uh, Inshallah will not be the last time we visit, and we could build upon these discussions every time we talk. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you so yeah, much for having Jazakallah us. Khair. Thank you so much. Thanks to your team and all of the attendees. We place you all in Allah's care. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and both me's here. I like this look actually; it's pretty unique. Um, it's up. It's you time now for the commenters, for the YouTubers, and for the Instagrammers. Um, should we go with the double look? What about four? <laughs> uh, Minnie says it's all about your intention. Yasin says. Uh, Mini says a great point. Where is your husna dhan billah? Have a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will not demand something of you then put you in a jail where you can't achieve it. I'm telling you it is so important. The fiqh of asbab. Asbab do not arrive us at our destination and we simply have to take what we can. Allah says about, about the army and the military says that when you go to war as Muslims, prepare whatever you can of strength. Right? What, what you can, but everything you can. That's where we, we, we said sitq is so important. Sitq is to leave no stone unturned. You may have five stones, another person may have 50 stones, another person may have mountains at their, at their disposal. The one with the most sitq is the best one, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, the one, the Prophet has a hadith, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, out of every dark, uh, every dark, dusty village comes the brightest hearts. Because these people have so little to work with, right? And they do it. And when they do it, their sidq and their iman develops. But I guarantee you, there are shabab in Damascus, Syria, where there are five, six, seven majadis a week within walking distance or short cab ride, they go to zero. And if they see it, they don't. They take it for granted. Those people can never be helped. How are you going to help them? You have it right there and you don't take it. 
But the prophet said, from every dark, dust and dark and dusty village, meaning this have, they have nothing, yet they're workers, they're strivers. Do you ever see in the, in the finance community, they talk about people who inherited their wealth? They despise them. Right? In the New York millionaire community, who I, I know one of those guys. And every once in a while we talk. He's a wonderful Muslim brother, right? And he, sa- he says, we have a word for them, but I can't say it. It's foul language, basically. It's a curse. The people who just inherited the wealth and they're just, they never got down and dirty. They never faced being on the cliff. Some of us and some of you out there, they imagine or face that they're on the cliff every day. Every day, we're weak and we might, I might lose my kid. I might lose myself. So what does that develop inside of you? A mentality of a, of, of a scrapper, of a hard worker, okay? of somebody who will not leave a single opportunity, will never take anything good for granted. Those are the best of people. Those are really the best of people. Manar Zeki, what are the best ways to bring your kids from an early age to the dean? Well, first of all, cut off the bad influences. There was a Turkish sheikh the other day, and he said he was sitting, and his son had a TV on, and his son said, the, the character in the TV said, banged his foot and said, it's my right. Banged his fist on the table and said, it's my right. To some other kid or some context or something. He says, not 24 hours later, at the breakfast table, the kid, four or five years old, says to his dad, it's my right. He's like, that's what happened. The transmission happened. The transmission of bad uh, uh, happened. So he saw the transmission with his own two eyes. So cut off the bad First, at-takhliya qabla tahliya These are two words. Some people say, um, what should we write down from the live stream or remember? Write this down. At-takhliya qabla at-tahliya And the difference between takhliya and tahliya is one dot. The kha versus the ha. Takhliya means the emptying. And tahliya means the sweetening. So you don't put a beautiful drink in a dirty cup. Common sense. You don't put wonderful food in a dirty plate. Common sense tells you that, right? So cutting off the bad influences because there is no value in nullifying your good deeds with bad deeds, okay? There's no value in nullifying your deeds. So cut off the bad influences. Disney, YouTube Kids has a lot of bad influences. You look at this stuff, at the very least, it's a waste of time. Okay, it's at the very least. Okay, and it could get worse than that. And then this, if they go to schools, remember, I don't mean to give you depressing news, but I always have to tell you what happened in Islamic history. When the French took over and the British took over, they established the best schools across West Africa into Egypt and Syria and Iraq. What did the scholars say? They gave fatwa by pro- a prohibition of sending your kids to be educated by non-believers for eight hours a day. Then you wonder what, why his head is different, why his heart is different, right? They, they issued prohibition in those countries. Imagine now in these countries. And you have plenty of homeschool options. If you can't stay home, let me give you an option. You get a whole bunch of homeschoolers. You rent out the local masjid. You hire an administrator. You pay them 
20 bucks an hour. They set up a couple tables. Every kid comes with their computer, their laptop, takes their own schooling throughout the day in the masjid while you go to work. That's how they do it. And that becomes a, uh, it becomes an online little bubble where everyone's doing their own thing, but at least they're together. At least they're socializing, right? They're eating lunch together. They're praying salah together. They're with other Muslims at the very least, physically there. And then they could, they could build on that or they can keep it as simple as possible. So my first advice to the kids is kids don't need a lot. Their fitra is clean. Their fitra is clean. Like, how do we get the rain to be better? Well, stop polluting the, 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 the sky. That's it. The rain will come down naturally good. You can just take rain. In the old days, what did they do? You take rainwater, you drink it. Today, you do that, you spit it out. It tastes so bad. Rainwater is the dirtiest water that you could have. You never drink it, right? It's, it tastes so bad. So what's the solution? Stop polluting the, the sky. That's it. Children are on the fitra. You don't need much. A little bit of exposure here and there to the house of Allah and to the Adhan and to the Quran. Their hearts are clean. So keep them, keep them clean. Welcome to all those who liked the interview. Alhamdulillah, the, the interviewee was also had a lot to say. That's that's why, alhamdulillah, was, is a great hour. Can we pray in a busy musalla while people are praying without having a sutra between the rows? Yes, inshallah, that's fine. The first dhikr of the habayb of Yemen is al-wird al-latif every morning and al-ratib al-shahir every evening. In ruku'ah and sujood, can we make any tasbih? Yes, any any um, tasbih is acceptable. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanallah, subhanallah rabbi al-azim, subhanallah rabbi al-ala, all that is fine. Let's go to Tanzila's question on, is there a specific ruqya for a person experiencing blockages in life like marriage, etc., etc.? Um, yes, the, the dhikr for that is, rabbi inni dima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. If your goodness in life is being blocked from you for some reason, you have to examine your sins, first of all. Examine maybe that your parent is making not happy with you. Examine maybe that your rizq is not halal. Examine maybe that um, uh, someone you have oppressed somebody. All of those. And then after that, you should say, Rabbi inni lama anzalta min faqid. But go back to the fiqh books. Go back to the books of law and see where did I go wrong. There should not be blockage here. Dua should be answered as a default. Especially now, it's also because even saying something as simple as Allahu Akbar and the teacher would report the child to prevent. In England, they have this thing called prevent. We need the update on prevent, actually. Right? Because I, don't, I actually don't know um, what the status update is on them. Um, prevent is an organization that it's, it's a way for, for ostensibly or the claim is for the British government to make sure there's no in homegrown radicalism. And we're not interested in radicalism of taking over a government. Um, 
we're interested in the radicalism of purifying our minds and our hearts from the filth of the pop culture that's permeating and 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 polluting the world. It's a monoculture to us that is filthy and it's it's iblisi and it's ruining our greatest happiness, which is a clean heart. Removing sihr. Can you do a podcast on removing sihr? Um, another question says, Suzella says, I mentioned Jashar Ibrahim Osiefa. And he had a smile on his face when I told him I listened to nothing but facts. I need to invite him. Yeah, can you invite him next? Yeah, we, it's, it's, it's hard to find their contacts, but we should be able to get them. Who are the best you for interpretation of dreams? Allahu Adam. Uh, Sheikh uh, in Chicago. Darul Qasim. Uh, Amin Khalwadia. If you have contact, it's hard to contact him. Matan al-Risala of Ibn Abi Zaid. Can I read of it without a teacher or should I seek one first? Yes, you can read it without a teacher. But just keep in mind that some things are not the mashhur of the Maliki Madhab in there. But yes, there's no harm in reading it without a teacher. But there is, uh, keep in mind, there is a mistake in the Aqidah chapter where he says, on the throne with his essence. Okay. That is not any expression that came in the Salaf or the Khalaf. All right, Rai, give me a question. Cultivating a love for Allah and the Prophet in your heart as an adult when you did not have that as a child. Cultivating a love for Allah and his messenger. Well, well, remember what he said. If you cannot find somebody who is a spiritual figure, religious figure, a scholar, a learned person who is lovable, that's really the key. So you remember when you're young, they say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's actually not the best question. The best question is, who do you want to be like when you grow up? Because humans love humans. If you notice, anything that human beings get, any technology, what do we do? We socialize it right away. Anytime that one person dominates over us, right, we want to break that down and be more close to equal than not. Human beings love to be with one another. And the real question is, who do I want to be like? So you got to ask yourself the question. you got to search for that personality, that person in the Islamic da'wah world that you feel like, wow, this person, this person they wake me up. They inspire me. They, we, I click with this person. That, to me, is the best route to get that flame going. It's got to be by a human being. And in our world, it could be by videos. Could be by videos. What else you got, Ryan? Here is Muhammad Aslam. We have faced a lot of difficulty getting the community into the masjid. We have weekly programs and young adults, but it's so difficult. Any advice? How does the masjid look? How does a person feel when they're rolling up to that masjid, driving up to that masjid? 
right? I can tell you for myself, MBIC was a place, every time I turn into the, the ramp that leads to the street that our masjid, New Brunswick Islamic Center, was on, on Livingston Avenue, my heart would tighten up that first year. This was 2012, the spring and summer of 2012. And I realized, I hate being here. Why? It's the masjid. You should love being here. Yeah, but I'm also a human being. It's terrible. It was a, a warehouse that w- you just walked into like a warehouse door, basically. That's what it was like. And brick, uh, just concrete, uh, concrete on the outside. You walked in, you turned on the lights, and it had long white beams. You all remember those, what those white beams look like? When you go to Walmart, you look up, they're just white beams. They didn't even bother putting a panel in, on top of the white beams. You go in, you have like medical office rugging carpeting of a medical office and i just said to myself and i didn't i was young i did not know how things worked or what the budget was or things like that um i just despised physically despised being here right so um alhamdulillah 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 the community permitted me and they let me go on a rampage of renovating the place Right, and we renovated the place, and we altered the lighting of the masjid. That was the first thing we did. I'm telling you, we added an extra switch and added soft white lighting on a different switch from the white lighting. You cannot imagine the change of mood that happened on the spot. You're not going to Home Depot when you go to the masjid. If it feels like you're going to Home Depot, that's a problem. You're not going to the dentist's office. If it looks like a dentist's office, that's a problem. You are going to a place of spirituality, and the lighting has to do with it. Then we all then we started putting in some life by way of some plants, and we put a planter out on the outside, put some ivy going up the walls, right? Um, it's extremely important to love the f- to physically love the space that you're going to, uh, and want to be there with your body. It's not superficial at all. It's extremely practical because human beings will love it. They would want to be there and they'll feel good about being there. And how people feel is objective. It's not always subjective. You put a person with harsh white lights, they're going to want to leave. Why do they torture people with harsh white lights in prisons? But you go to the top of the line restaurants, what do the lighting look like? Soft white lights. Top of the line restaurants. Show me one top of the line restaurant with a beam those beams going across the top. It's never going to happen, right? So it's extremely important to alter and to fix these, these things. Yeah. Maybe that's why people don't want to go. Secondly, what do people do when they go and where are they sitting and, and what's all of that? Are they comfortable when they go there, right? And what are they doing? So sometimes eating, it's really uh, the way to go. Bringing people together. I, I always joked that we're like the mafia. MBI, uh, our crew and the mafia, there's two things. That, if, you made a, if you followed us around with a camera and you followed the mafia around with a camera, you can compete how much we're eating, right? Because <laughs> most of our gatherings surround around there's some food, right? So the mafia. Every mafia movie, there's a guy making the pasta, right? Ma- uh, someone stirring the sauce. Yeah, sitting at a booth at a restaurant. Getting a steak handed to him. 
Marvi Chatoy says, what should be the thought process for choosing a method? Well, very simple. You are educated. You can read. You can study. The, and this is something that you should write down as a nugget of knowledge that's extremely important. The ijtihad of the muqallid, in other words, the scholarly effort of the non-scholar is to read and study and decide who is what most worthy of following. Okay? Who meaning which imam, which methodology. There are two amazing books that may cost you a pretty penny. The first one is Muhammad Abu Zahra's book on the four imams. The second one is Jibril Haddad, G.F. Haddad's book on the four imams. You will read the biographies and the methodologies of the four imams there. Your ijtihad. Remember, what is a common Muslim? A common Muslim is simply someone who is not professionally trained in Islamic law. That's it. Does, is a common Muslim a dummy? No. A common Muslim has a brain. Right? We all have brains these days. Everyone has opinions and everyone has analytical capacities. Your job is to with your, use your brain to determine which oncologist is right for me. Right? And when you get cancer, what do you do? When do you use your brain when you get cancer? That you get the family around and then the wife will be sitting there or the daughter and he'll say, listen, I talked to everybody. There are four oncologists that are good. Here are the pros and cons of each one. Let's go to one. Let's pick two. We'll go to one. Go to a follow-up. Compare the visits. So you eliminate two and then you go to two. And then you finally pick one. Once you pick one, what do you do? All right, tell us what to do. You don't use your brain anymore in respect to the, 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 the am I going to follow him or not. You already chose. What the oncologist is going to tell you, all right, your situation, here's the situation. You need this treatment, this treatment, this treatment. Okay? He's, you use your brain in asking, okay, explain to us what's the value and the benefit. So that's where you use your brain. But you don't use your brain and say to him, all right, I'll let you know what we decide. No, you've already decided on him, right? You use your brain to ask for the evidences or to ask for why or to understand so I can have a better understanding what's going to happen to my body. But you don't say to him, all right, I'll let you know if we're going to do the radiation next year or not, or next week or not. No, you've already decided on him. You're doing the radiation. Or else what's the point of the decision? We, muqallids, common Muslims, we use our brain to determine who is the most worthy of following? Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, Ahmed, and their methods, their madhabs, their methodologies. Does it make sense to you? You can read this. You can study this. Now, once I've, uh, I, I, I make my decision, I may use my brain and I may not. I may say, listen, just give me the manual. Like, if I, if I was to go to a doctor, I don't understand. I don't have time. I'm sick. Just, just tell me when I'm coming in and when I'm not. Give me the pills and give me the schedule. That's me. That might be me. Another person may be, I'm really curious, what happens when I go into radiation therapy? What happens if I go into surgery? What do these pills do? Where do they come out of? That's your choice to, to, to delve into the madhab and to learn the evidences of the madhab. But remember, you are not agreeing or disagreeing. 
You're not there yet. Okay, that's not your place. And so that's the concept of how we, we, we learn our Islam and it gives order to our Islam. If I chose the Maliki Madhab, I know I can drop me anywhere. I can find the Maliki scholars. I know exactly what they're teaching. Okay, I know exactly the books they're teaching. If, I, if my daughter was to come and the, and the, and the uh, husband was to say, hey, we are Shafi'is. Okay, fine. Show me your law books so I know exactly what you're all about. They're Hanafis. I, show me your law books. But if someone says, no, I just, I just read and whatever is easiest, whatever I, I'm convinced by. Okay, I can never predict where this is going then, right? I don't know where you're going. I go to a masjid. Oh, what's this masjid established upon? All Islam is good. Okay, so that means I have no clue. I will never have a clue who's going the conditions of the preachers and the teachers of this mosque. Chaos. 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 Does any court of law operate that way? Every government will tell you, oh, you want to know the court of law? You're a prisoner. We, we've... We've taken you. You want to know the court of law? You can go read it in the book. There's not going to be a new law that's going to come up tomorrow. Right? Al-Ain, sometimes they call it. When someone presents salah and salam on the messenger does, the prophet responds and the answer is yes. And the answer is, many answers, some once a week, some when you're there, some all the time, some once a day. And the truth is immediately. That is the truth. If a student loan gets written off after a certain time or it requires an income threshold, is that permissible or is that classed as a gift well the, the rules of a loan is very simple what you get is what you pay back you don't pay back more than what you get okay if they write it off good for you they forgive it the the, the keeper the 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 daddy has the right to forgive a loan FO says we need ho serious holistic educational curriculum for our kids. The administrator in the mosque with the computers is insufficient, but we're talking to people who are sending their kids to public school because both parents have to work. They don't have the time or the mind for holistic education. And I'll tell you what my philosophy of a holistic education is. Following around your parents and learning their trade, if possible, is a very good part of education. In the old world, they used to say you should know the trade of your parents, of your dad. That's your, one of your first educations. If your dad owns a restaurant, learn, learn how to run a restaurant. Learn the back end of running a restaurant. It's a great education. Okay? If your parents in the medical field, take them to the office with you so they could observe. How do we treat a patient? What does billing look like? All these things. So that's actually, to me, apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. 
if in a real of a observing a real life job to me it's so valuable you can't imagine they grow up so quickly observing it then being part of it okay and eventually they take a load off of you even if it's a family business or a job that they could that they could do that but i really believe that the apprenticeship whether it's with you or an uncle or a grandparent is so valuable okay a holistic education to me also involves socializing with older people you will learn a lot if you hang out like one of the things we encourage is that the the shabab and the young girls and the young guys that there are some gatherings where all the ages are mixed that it shouldn't always be girls over there uh, uh, a middle-aged woman here and the old ladies sitting by themselves mix it all up you'll learn stuff and talk 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 you'll learn stuff that to me is part of a holistic is that formal education no it's not formal education but it is part of your maturing process okay those two things i really like and i uh, I, f- I find them to be really important um uh part of a kid's a, a child's life Kasyun, is it permissible to pray salah in totality in any language other than arabic no it is that isn't salah is not valid why salah is a ummah unifying ritual and it must be done as the prophet did it no other way in the arabic language the only thing that you're allowed to say in your language is dua in sujood the, the silent prayer supplication to allah in your prostration or in any time where you're making supplication to allah that may be in your own uh, language but the takbir sami allah li min allahu akbar the quran must be in the arabic language karen lindsay's back who are you Karen, I'm not talking to you. Change your profile to what you really are. And you're putting a non-mahram. Who did you, where did you get this woman from? You, did you actually Google Karen? Right? And that's the first picture that you took? By the way, um, tomorrow on, on um, Affairs of the Ummah, we're going to be reading up about the Nicholas Tyree, um, um, it's not Tyree, but I can't remember his last name. They beat the life out of this guy, literally. My theory, if you don't know about this, down in Tennessee, could you find me his name real quick, Ryan? Nicholas T. something. They beat the life out of this guy. It appears that, put a Y, because I know there's a why there. Um, there. There's a guy who just, it's supposedly the story is routine traffic stop. Uh, oh, Tyree Nichols. Tyree Nichols is a regular guy. He's got a son. He works. He's going home. They stopped him for a traffic stop. He ran away. They, ta- they tased him. They went overboard on a traffic stop. And they ended up beating the life out of him. And he died in the hospital a couple of days later. It's all on, on, on footage. How stupid are these people? 
You have a body cam. There's cameras everywhere. And they did this. How stupid are these officers? It's really ridiculous um, what they did. And is there, there's no discussion of that. We're just informing because there's no innocence here at all. There's not like a debate. There's no debate on the subject. They should be executed. And they, there is a death penalty in, 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 in Tennessee. They should get the death penalty. It's, uh, and they're, they're, his parents sh- and his child should never work another day in their life because the city of Memphis has to pay them. That's, you're, we're supposed to be protected by these cops, and they did this? Karen Lindsay. What are you guys? I'm new to Islam. We're at, we are Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah, which consists of the four madhabs. Uh, Hanafi, Maliki, Shafi, and Ahmed, that's where we derive our religion from. In Aqidah, the schools of Aqidah are Ash'ari, Maturidi, and Hanbali. That's what we accept. And Tasawwuf, the science of purifying the heart, we're all about it. From the works of Imam al-Ghazali. I don't understand, to be honest with you, how there's even a case. And I sometimes I just do not understand the legal process in America. Bring your attorney, come and stand. The footage is right there. What else do you need? By the way, footage is not something that's trustworthy all the time anymore. Footage is something that can be doctored. When you sh- have proof that it's genuine footage, you're an officer of the law. But here's my only, th- my only thing. I have to believe, I can't believe there's no side story to this. I got to believe that, I don't know, that maybe he was a witness to something that the cops did. They needed to eliminate him. But he, that's not even how you do cold-blooded elimination of a witness. If you're to eliminate a witness in cold blood, we've watched enough mafia movies. We know how it's done, right? It's not done in the middle of the street by kicking his face in when he's handcuffed. The guy was ha- tased, first of all. He was tased. He's, the guy's got his two hands behind his back, puts him on the ground, okay? Then lifts him up so that he's like at, a, at an angle. He's totally flat on the ground. He, they lift him up so he's at, at an angle. Another cop comes and kicks his face in. Then that's not even acceptable in general fighting rules. And then they took the guy. He's in handcuffs behind his back, and they pummel his face like a punching bag. Something is wrong with human beings. Something is terribly wrong with human beings. Khadija Asif, I'm all about what Khadija Asif says. We need an underground community that just highlight, delete when no one's looking. I'm I'm totally honest with you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now three o'clock. We will stop here. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. Subhanakallahumma bihamdu wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Ryan, let's close off with dua and nur.
If you could kindly pull that up. Real quick, you got it? All right, let me pull it up, inshallah. I should pull it up as an image in my phone so I could have it right away. But we should close off with some remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. Um, if you are new to Islam, oh, Karen Lindsay, listen up. Go to mbic.org forward slash links, L-I-N-K-S. And then go to converts, and you'll see new Muslim playlists, okay? Go down, you'll see, you'll see general links, you'll see dhikr, and then you'll see new Muslim playlists. I highly recommend you start listening to the biography of the Prophet wasallam. okay? Karen Lindsay, who we're going to give him slash her the benefit of the doubt, maybe their parents don't want to know that they're Muslim, or for some other reason, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Him or her, we don't know. Um, but go to and go to New Muslim Playlist. At, again, nbic.org forward slash links. No, uh, um, oh, maybe we put it on both pages. Did we put it on both pages? So we, it may be on both pages there. Let me just double check that real quick mbic.org forward slash converts. Mm. And yes, that's easier. Much easier. Okay. Very good. So, Karen Lindsay, do your thing and get on that and start benefiting from those playlists. All right. Let us recite from Dua and Noor. While, while you're looking yeah, for go it. ahead. Part of the reason why uh, we're inviting all these shayukh on, right, is that there's a lot of uh, bad things that go on in the online community, and we, like we see on Wednesdays, it's almost always bad news that we look up. So it's important for people to become aware and to have exposure to the plethora of great resources that are online as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically beacons of light that we have in America and soon in the UK will go there too yeah. and to tap into that so it's not just to listen and to benefit for 30 minutes it's to be exposed to them to refer other people to them like Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya was saying they need uh, staff and faculty it doesn't yeah. mean he, do, he just needs students only mm-hmm. like if someone's in the area that you know refer them to Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya he needs an admin you know yeah. so that's part of the reason you know there is so much good out there we can, we can do interviews every day. There are so many rep good. There's so much good out there. We're actually this is one of the best times that we've ever had. There's so much good out there, and so many shiuk coming up with with institutions that have been molded by bad times, and as a result, you find them they're opening their doors. There's a lot of compassion, and there's a lot of benefit, right? And so, we're going to continue highlighting these shiuk and these imams and and where they're at. And uh, Ryan Othman, they're going to keep bringing us uh, amazing guests, inshallah ta'ala. All right, Dua and Noor, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Allahumma j'alli nooran fi qalbi, wa nooran fi qabri, wa nooran fi sam'i, wa nooran fi basari, wa nooran fi sha'ri, wa nooran fi bashari. 
ونورا في لحمي ونورا في دمي ونورا في عظامي ونورا في عصبي ونورا من بين يدي ونورا من خلفي ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعل لي نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه